Welcome to Sobriety Unleashed, the podcast that helps you master your sobriety and change your life. I'm Simon. And I'm Ellen. And I am so excited to introduce our first ever guest on the podcast and my hero and my reason for sobriety, actually. Um, Melissa Urban, six times New York Times bestselling author and founder of The Whole 30. Melissa, welcome. Hi, thank you so much, Ellen and Simon. I'm so excited to be your first guest. How prestigious. I know, it really is. We, well, I listen to your podcast and you normally start by asking people, what is your thing? So I'm turning the tables on you and asking you, what is your thing? Yeah, my thing is empowering people to find their voice and claim their space. I really enjoy sharing stories from my own life and my own learnings and my own Um, mistakes and failings in an effort to sort of help bring connection and help people maybe discover kind of their own stories. You know, my my website title says I'll go first and I take that quite seriously. I'm usually um, happy to be the first one to talk about any particular subject. So with that in mind, I'd love to hear a bit about your own sobriety story, what it was that prompted you to evaluate your relationship with alcohol and then make that change. Yeah. So a couple of things. The first thing is that I don't actually refer to myself as sober. And there's something I'm going to talk about where in my brain, I can't quite use that word because it makes me want to rebel against it. So we'll talk about what that means for me. Um, and I, I absolutely uphold and respect everyone's right to identify and discuss their own recovery as they see fit. So I am a recovering drug addict. Um, I've been in recovery for over 21 years, but it still serves my recovery to talk about myself as an addict. Um, It's kind of part of my practice. And as part of my addiction recovery, I didn't drink for a long time. Um, Alcohol was never part of my addiction. And yet my therapist and I decided that it was in my best interest to abstain from all substances. So I did for a good length of time. And then slowly over time, he and I working together decided alcohol really wasn't the same issue for me as drugs were. And it was totally fine for me to drink casually. And I did off and on throughout the years. I would go through a year when I was training for a triathlon where I just wouldn't drink at all. Um, I would go through whole 30s where I didn't drink for 30 days. And every time I got done with a whole 30, I would think to myself, I don't miss it at all. And every time I did a whole 30, I would extend that not drinking longer and longer. So in September, 2018, I was sitting around with my boyfriend at the time, now husband who never drank in his whole life. And I was like, I wonder what it, like, I wonder what would happen if I just didn't drink at all. I might've had two or three glasses a month at that point in my life. But like, what if I just did it? What if I took it out of the equation? He was like, you should try it just for 30 days. And I was like, cool. So I did it for 30 days and it felt so good. And I just kind of decided to like keep going with it. So I didn't drink at all throughout September, October, November, December, and then January hit and I was doing a book tour. And for the first time in the history of Melissa does a book tour, I didn't get sick. And I thought about why didn't I get sick this book tour? What was different? My schedule was just as hectic. I had just as many cities. I met just as many people. And I thought it's because I'm not drinking. It's because I wasn't going out after an event at 9 p.m. and sitting at a bar and taking myself to dinner and having a drink, a single drink, which meant that I would be back at my hotel earlier with a good healthy meal that I had pre-ordered or pre-planned, getting to bed earlier, getting a better night's sleep, waking up earlier in the morning, feeling motivated to go to the gym. It was this enormous cascade effect that added up in such a significant way that I thought, cool, I'm just not drinking anymore. 
And since then, I have had probably a handful of drinks over the last three years, most of which were not worth it. And I've just kind of decided that I'm not drinking right now. And that's going to just continue into perpetuity. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That right. I'm not drinking right now. And I still I do the same. I, st- I say to people forever is such an overwhelming amount of time and you don't yes. have to think in forever terms. I'm not drinking right now and it suits me. And I still say the same thing. But I think I probably got that from you, actually. Um, so tell me about some of the other benefits. For me, I always say that sobriety is like this keystone lifestyle change, whereas I used to do the whole 30s. I'd give up the same as you, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. But as soon as I started drinking, everything else would kind of go to shit again. My sleep was bad. I would stop going to the gym, all those kind of things. So, yeah. So what other benefits did you see from sobriety? I think that's an incredibly insightful um, kind of thing to point out that for you, it's a keystone habit. For me, my relationship with food is that keystone habit, but alcohol certainly plays into it. And because alcohol inhibits your inhibitory mechanisms, we tend to make poor choices when we drink, not just around, do I want another drink or do I want those nachos, but I'm going to stay up later. I'm going to night, you know, binge on um, Netflix or TikTok. I'm going to make questionable decisions when I'm out with my friends about how late to stay or how many more drinks to have. And then that cascades into every other area of your life. So, you know, a few things that I've noticed with my natural drinking experience, obviously sleep is a huge one. It didn't, I didn't realize until I was sleeping incredibly well, like we are talking 100% sleep scores on my fitness wearable so many nights in a row that just one drink, even half a drink, even if I had it with dinner at 6 PM, messed my sleep up for the whole night. And now that I was sleeping well, I was like, I'm not, it's not worth it. I will not give up a night of this kind of like blissful sleep. I noticed that my self-confidence improved. So this might sound strange, but you know, my partner, my husband doesn't drink at all. And when he and I would go out to dinner with friends, I might have a glass of wine. And I was certainly not drunk or not even tipsy. I would say after a glass of wine, but I began to notice that I felt off. I would drink half a glass and I just wouldn't feel like myself. And I would get really self-conscious like, Oh my gosh, am I behaving differently? Do other people notice that I am? And it made me like kind of retreat back into my own little mind world, as opposed to being fully present with the people around me. And I thought that's not worth it either. And that was never something that I would have identified before this not drinking experiment. So I could go on and on, but I think it does have a cascade effect into every area of your life in really unexpected ways. Yeah, it's a bit like a big domino that when you push down that first one, the rest just start tumbling so quickly. I'd love to know how alcohol fits into the whole 30 and whether people really start to, as well as reevaluating their nutrition choices and a lot of other lifestyle choices, whether they really do start coming out of this question in their relationship with alcohol. Do you kind of get a lot, you must do, get a lot of feedback from people around that? I think absolutely that's what happens. I think people go into it and think, what am I going to do without my post-work glass of wine at home? What am I going to do if I go out for business lunches? How am I going to celebrate with my girlfriends? And I think once people realize and have the experience on the Whole30, which is no alcohol at all for 30 days, like, oh, it kind of doesn't matter what's in my glass. I can still have fun at brunch. I can still celebrate my mom's birthday. And when I get home after a hard day, I don't have that glass of wine now. Like, oh, 
okay, now I actually have to sit in my feelings and think about what's going on. What do I actually need? Is it the glass of wine or do I need to like have a few minutes of self-care, take a little downtime, talk to my partner about how I'm feeling, go for a walk, get a little alone time, like whatever it is, people develop other coping mechanisms to deal with stress and negative emotion and sitting in hard feelings. And that experience is really powerful. So when they come out of the whole 30, they have a new relationship with alcohol. They've identified with reintroduction, how alcohol is making them feel in all of these little nuanced areas of their lives. And I think a lot of people come out of the whole 30 and go, alcohol now plays a very different role in my life going forward. Yeah, it's a strange thing because as I say, I was an absolute lover of, I still am an absolute lover of the whole 30, but it took me years because I didn't have that rock bottom moment with alcohol. I kept on thinking I could go back to it and moderate. And it wasn't until I just kind of, it was a shift in my mindset of actually the sleep was a huge thing for me as well. I'm sleeping like a baby. Why would I want to treat myself to a drink when if I'm wanting to treat myself right, it's not to drink. Um, but you say about coping mechanisms. Now, I know that you absolutely love hiking and working out. Is that one of your coping mechanisms? Yes, absolutely. Hiking is. I would say my morning fitness routine is just sort of like baseline. That's like breathing for me. I get up, I go to the gym, I do my thing. Hiking for sure, being outside in nature by myself very often or with my dog, sometimes with my family. That is a huge part of my recovery practice and a huge part of self-connection and a huge part of my connection to like God and the universe. I call being out in nature church. It's where I get outside and stay connected to myself. It's where I kind of create space to listen to messages from the universe. Very often I'm processing things in my head as I'm walking. So it's like a moving meditation. So yeah, that's a very important part of my practice. Is that Henry? We can oh my gosh. Back. I'm like, Henry, Henry, mom's doing a podcast right now. Please stop parking. It just adds to the feel of it. I love it. It does. It's very authentic. Yeah. <laughs> Melissa, you're clearly someone who's done a lot of work on themselves and a, a lot of what you're saying sounds so much like my own journey where you've, you've got a begun, you are looking inwards, you're connected with your emotions and your feelings. You've learned how to meet your needs in a healthy way. But I, I think this journey kind of, for many, starts with having to have a strong reason why. Why do I want to quit alcohol? Why do I want to really look at my diet, my nutrition choices? So if you can think back to, well, probably way before 2018, what was your why, your big reason why? Yeah, I think that's so insightful. And we talk about on the Whole30 how mission critical it is to establish your why. We even offer like guidance exercises to help people really drill down to what their core why is and remind yourself of it. I had a, a unique experience because my why for turning to healthy habits was if I don't replace my drug addiction with something healthier, I will die. That was my why. And so when it becomes like literally a matter of, of life or death, I found myself highly motivated to make some changes. But then I decided, you know, the, the more distance I put between myself and my addiction, the more buffers, the more layers I add to this concept of like Melissa as a healthy person with healthy habits, how can I seek and obtain evidence to support that idea that I am a healthy person with healthy habits. And I just started piling them on. I would go to bed earlier. I would pay attention to sleep. I paid attention to what I ate. I got new friends. I started exercising. I got rid of clothes that reminded me of those days. And I got rid of music that reminded me of those days. Like I really insulated myself with this idea that in order to save my own life, I'm a healthy person with healthy habits. And 
I don't think you need to hit a rock bottom place whatsoever. But I think if you think about your pain points in the moment, like where am I not showing up as myself? Where am I feeling uncomfortable in my own skin? Like where are the areas in which I'm lacking connection, connection to others, connection to myself, connection to the higher power that can help you identify your why. Um, I think very often change when it comes to habits is brought about by crisis. And if you can adopt or think about your why before you hit that crisis point, you'll be in a much stronger place to start building and layering those healthy habits on. Yeah, absolutely. And you talk about connection. Connection is quite often thought of as the the opposite to um addiction addiction yeah connection is the opposite to addiction so where do people what advice do you give I know that you had kind of fairly relatively new um to Salt Lake City and so finding your new tribe can be quite difficult Uh, what what advice do you offer to people to find their sober tribe it's really hard so I would say if you were going to find your sober family or your sober camp or your sober group you know, you have to start doing the sorts of behaviors in which you would want to attract those kinds of people. So I, when I moved to Salt Lake City, I wanted to make health minded, like-minded friends. I started going to yoga classes. I would take myself out for brunch at restaurants that I knew served like healthy food. I would go for walks around the park or go for hikes. And I would just start talking to people. Like I met some of my first friends in Salt Lake City because the waitress at my organic cafe was super nice. And I was like, Hey, I'm new in town and you seem like really cool. Would you want to grab coffee sometime? Feels a little awkward in the moment, but like, that's how I met some of my good friends. So going out and kind of doing some of the activities that you want to feel supported in, like, obviously if you're sober for the first time, you're not going to meet new friends at a bar or at a wine tasting. So you have to kind of go and, and seek out those activities. But I think one of the other things that's really important and has been in my journey is that you also don't wait to find other people to do those things with. You need to get comfortable doing some things by yourself. And if alcohol has proven a numbing or distancing mechanism for you, so you don't have to sit in your feelings or have to spend time by yourself, I think a really powerful experience, probably in conjunction with therapy, is to learn to start just sitting by yourself for a while, taking yourself out for a walk by yourself, going out to eat by yourself, going for a hike by yourself and figuring out what made you uncomfortable about being alone and then getting more comfortable. That can be an incredibly powerful experience. It's so true. It's about making the uncomfortable become comfortable. It's absolutely right. So I'm asking this next question for selfish reasons because I'm hoping to learn something. Uh, because this is something that I find incredibly uncomfortable. And my understanding is you're a bit of an expert on this. So I'm going to see if I can learn something here. So I find it really hard to set boundaries, particularly when it comes to saying something to somebody if somebody's pressuring me or especially somebody that I love or a close friend and I really want to say no I've definitely got better at it and I'm very aware of it and I've been working on it and I find a lot of people in my sobriety communities listeners to the podcast they find that difficult too they can be people pleasers and I know boundary setting is super important to you and it's probably like Ellen said a bit of a kind of keystone of your whole mindset what advice or information can you share about boundary setting? Because I need to get better at this. Yeah, I think everyone does. We all do. We all need to get better. And especially if you are newer to not drinking or sobriety, 
you're going to be faced with those peer pressure situations with the awkward or uncomfortable questions. Like uh, you might not get this question, but all the time it's like, oh, are you pregnant? Like A, that's none of your business. And B, that's not the only reason that someone might not accept a drink. So a few things about boundaries, just sort of as a precursor, you can think about boundaries as kind of fences, this limit that you put on relationships with other people or engagements with other people about how kind of close they can get to you, how they can treat you. And a boundary is always about yourself. It's not about controlling what the other person does. It's about saying, this is what I am and am not comfortable with. And this is where my line is or where my fence is. Boundaries are designed to make the relationship better. So, you know, as Prentice Hempel said so famously, boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and me simultaneously. They're about setting a healthy fence in place such that you feel like the relationship is better. You're not resentful because very often people pleasers say yes and then are resentful and that's not good for the relationship. And boundaries are about keeping you safe and healthy, which is incredibly important if not drinking is a priority to you. So I think one of the hardest things about boundaries is just knowing how to respond in the moment. And a lot of times people just kind of freeze and because they haven't thought about potentially stressful situations or practice them, it's easier just to give in in the moment than it is to stand up for yourself. So thinking about what kind of stressful situations might I encounter? And I like the use of if then plans. There's some psychological research that says this format's really helpful. So if I go out to my office happy hour and I'm pressured to have a drink, then I'll say, and come up with three or four different options. No, thanks. I'm not drinking right now. No, thanks. I'm just not feeling it tonight. No, thanks. I'm driving home. Like whatever you want to say to say no, and maybe have a backup in case there's pressure or a follow-up question like why, right? And it can be anything from like, honestly, to be perfectly honest, that's a sensitive question and it's really none of your business. I'm not going to talk about it to, you know, I just discovered when I don't drink, I sleep much better. And like sleep is super important to me. So how was the movie you saw last week? Like and changing the subject, but thinking about the stressful situations, coming up with if then plans, and then practicing what you're going to say in the moment. So that when it's faced, your brain is like, Oh, I've been here before. I know how to do this. And your response kind of just pops right out. Yeah. It's like having that toolbox is already there. You know what you're going to say. You've planned for it. You you said that your husband has never been a drinker. And what does he think about your journey into sobriety? Yeah. He's never had a drink in his life. It was just never. It's super rare. He's one of those people though, that like, if you pressured him to have a drink, he'd be like, you're dumb, go away. Like he has no problem (laughs) whatsoever sticking up for himself in that area. Um, He never minded when I had a drink, but I was always conscientious never to have more than like one or two in front of him because I never wanted to be drunk in front of him and never have. And he didn't particularly care either way. But once he saw how good it made me feel, he was like, you know, yeah, if you want to keep rolling with it, like that's cool. And I have to say that the fact that alcohol is not even like it's not even on the radar when we go out or hang out. Um, to the point where like I'll show up and friends are like, oh, there's like liqueur in the fridge for you. And I'm like, cool, thanks. You know, New Year's Eve parties, going out for dinner, weddings, whatever. It's just not part of the equation. And it's really nice. But he's super non-judgmental and like wouldn't really have cared either way. So maybe you can help us clear up a myth because a lot of people believe and false beliefs are at the heart of so many of those unhelpful behaviors that we turn to many people believe that when they come into sobriety life is going to be worse it's going to be more boring i'd love to i'd love to hear a a bit about which i don't think it is whether your life is more boring and b your thoughts around 
beating false beliefs or overcoming false beliefs? Yeah, it's interesting. If you come from a background of trauma and if you come from a background of either addiction or an unhealthy relationship with something as strong as food or, you know, with uh, alcohol or drugs, chaos can feel fun. Like we become so accustomed to chaos and drama and the highs and the lows that it can feel like a just normal, super pleasurable experience doesn't have enough punch for us. And I think it's important to acknowledge that it might feel like that for you in the beginning, and that's totally normal. And it is just a, a, a regulation of like your nervous system and your response to your environment. So I don't want to discount that that actually might be some people's experience, that going out and getting completely blitzed at a nightclub where you're out till 4 a.m. with like a jillion people and whatever is probably not going to feel the same as sitting around with your family, like playing a board game and, you know, eating popcorn. But obviously as you, you know, kind of progress in your recovery or in your sobriety, you adjust to this new normal, you realize all of the benefits that come with not drinking. And I think it's super important to actively seek out those benefits, no matter how small to kind of override this idea that like, I'm missing out on something. I think you'll start to realize that you're showing up more fully and more presently. Your connections are so much more deeper and so much more satisfying. You can actually find joy in the small things. Whereas before you simply couldn't because your brain was like burned out on all of the super normally stimulating experiences that you were having. And I think you achieve a new baseline, which is so much more satisfying, but it's a process and it does take time. Yeah. Have you noticed a shift in your focus and your motivation since you have been alcohol free? Because that was one of the biggest things for me is suddenly I had all this spare time where I wasn't even thinking about alcohol. I wasn't uh, I wasn't drinking and I was up, as you say, in the morning, lots of energy, able to work out. That's kind of a no brainer. Um, but also a real shift in my my motivation and and focus of what I wanted to do. Yeah, I I wouldn't say I noticed that a lot myself because I wasn't drinking that much before. But what I will say is that during the pandemic, when we were all like early, you know, March, 2020, we were all in lockdown. I was grateful every single day that alcohol was just not a part of my life. I never kept it at home. I didn't even think about it once. I wasn't going out. We weren't socializing. And I felt like I had so much more capacity to handle the stress and the unknown, the uncertainty around the pandemic, because specifically because alcohol was not part of my equation. So, you know, I think that's a huge part of anybody's recovery is in the absence of alcohol, like what is that absence giving back to me? And I think for sure, focus, motivation, drive, energy are really important pieces of that. You mentioned one of my favorite topics, which is trauma and kind of emotional neglect. And in fact, my book that comes out in December is all about that. And it's a very sensitive topic and one that needs to be gently unpackaged. I believe, and Gabor Mate also shares the same view, that there is no addiction without past trauma or some form of emotional neglect. What's your view on that? Oh, that's tough. I don't know that I am well-versed enough to be able to speak on that. Personally, I had trauma, sexual trauma at age 16, and that was directly linked to my addiction. But, you know, if the opposite of addiction is connection, and I think like the Portuguese model, the Portugal model is, is demonstrating that quite beautifully, then obviously in the absence of connection, there's like a void to fill. And addiction feels like a very natural and 
um, biologically almost driven way to fill that void. So I probably don't know enough on it, but I look forward to reading more of it in your book. I'll send you a copy. I would love that. Thank you. <laughs> um, tell me then, what do you go to? What's your go-to alcohol-free drink? Give some pe- people some advice on what to go to. I mean, there's the Whole30 compliant, but then after Whole30, life after Whole30. So people feel like they're not missing out. That kind of yeah. grown-up drink. What's your go-to? I think it's super important to show up to parties, events, dinners with like your own beverage in case your host hasn't thought of providing a fun zero proof option. There's nothing worse than like standing around while people are drinking like wine and champagne and you've got like a glass of ice water. So BYO, I always bring my own. I have a huge assortment of beverages at home. I don't usually mix my own mocktails, but we have some really fun mocktail recipes over at Whole30 that involve like teas and fruit and herbs and all of these different like really fun sparkling waters. Um, There are, you know, I love kombucha as an option, any flavored sparkling water. We have sparkling tea with adaptogens, like anything that's fun. And then I'm also just a huge fan of herbal tea. Um, I remember going out for dinner, New Year's Eve, everyone had champagne, Brandon had his water and I ordered a pot of like warm green tea at the sushi restaurant. And it was so beautiful and warm and comforting. So I think whatever you think is going to feel festive and feel delightful, serve it in a fancy glass, but definitely either bring your own or let your host know ahead of time, like, hey, you know, will you have any fun zero proof options? And and always bring extra because you never know who at that gathering is going to be like, oh, great. I didn't want to drink tonight and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Yeah, I think that's a great suggestion. Another thing that comes up a lot for the people that I work with is weight loss. And it can take a bit of time after you stop drinking or after you make any kind of lifestyle change to lose weight. And we talked earlier about having a strong reason why. And I think some people can come into these life changes with weight loss quite high in their list of priorities. What would you say to somebody who is perhaps overly focused on just losing weight and that's become their kind of main obsession? I know that's, you know, we don't do weight loss on Whole30. We don't tell you how to lose weight. We're not a weight loss program. You don't count calories. You don't restrict calories. You don't even get on the scale for 30 days um, as a well-deserved break from the hold that that little plastic overlord has on your like self-confidence and your sense of self-worth. So, you know, I understand and respect people's, like people can can do with their body as they choose. And I fully respect that. And I honor that. And also if you're coming to me and saying, I really want to change my habits and my emotional relationship with food, we're going to talk about all the ways that changing the food that you put on your plate can impact every single area of your life in a positive way that has nothing to do with your body size or your body weight. All of the things that the scale can't measure, like your energy, like your sleep, your mood, your focus, your digestion, your cravings, you know, your asthma symptoms or allergies or migraines or joint pain and swelling, all of these things can get better by changing the food that you put on your plate. And none of that is reflected in the scale. And there are a lot of things that you can do to make that scale number go down that don't make you healthier and don't make you happier. So we really like to kind of ditch that diet mentality and just tell people, look, just try it our way for 30 days, right? Give yourself a well-deserved break for 30 days. Come talk about non-scale victories. Come focus on like all of these other factors. And that really can help them break that attachment, I think, to body weight and that diet mentality. 
Yeah, in fact, I was telling Simon yesterday, I gave up weighing myself the year, a year exactly to the day before I gave up alcohol because it had so much hold over me and so much hold over, I would get on the scales and it's like, okay, you can be happy today because the scale's gone down or you're going to be sad and pissed off with yourself today because yeah. the scale's gone up and it dictated to me my moods and my emotions for the day. And I was so free in getting rid of it and alcohol to me was almost the same thing. I realized that I was using it and it affected my self-confidence so much. But turning up, you kind of touched on this earlier, turning up as your authentic self made me comfortable in my skin for the first time in 40 years in my entire life. Did you feel the same about that? You said, yeah, um, for sure. Absolutely. You know, I have been on a journey, as you mentioned, I am very self-aware. I am, you know, very, very introspective, but that's something I've been working on actively in therapy for the last like 12 years. Like I am, you know, this isn't something that I'm, I was just born with. And it's certainly, it's something that I've had to work at for a very long time, but showing up authentically as me, especially with a large social media following where you can kind of image craft and I could be anyone I wanted to be if I just showed you various little bits and pieces of me, it just feels awful. It feels like you're an imposter in your own life. It feels like you have to hide who you really are, which then almost brings on these I, this idea of shame because you're hiding pieces of yourself, which then makes you think, oh, well, if other people saw those pieces, they wouldn't like me or I wouldn't be worthy enough, you know, of their love. And that just leads into this spiral of like, you need to hide more pieces of yourself and image craft even more. And alcohol can absolutely play a huge part in that because you're so disconnected from yourself and others when you're drinking. So yeah, giving up alcohol for sure has been a big part of just this idea of showing up as me always, all the time. And if I drink, I physically can't do that because the way alcohol works in your system. And so that's another reason that I'm like, it's just not worth it because I don't want to show up as anyone other than me these days. Toxic shame just plays such a big part in the whole journey. And I think, you know, even when people are going through sobriety, they can still find themselves, you know, full of negative self-talk and beating themselves up over other behaviors. And one of the things that I notice a lot of other people doing is they quit alcohol and then they start diving into the ice cream and the Krispy Kreme donuts and developing a kind of sugar habit. I'm not going to say addiction necessarily. And then they start um, loathing themselves because they're eating more sugar, having made a positive lifestyle choice. And I'd be interested to know because I'm quite gentle with people when they start having a few sugary snacks after they've quit drinking. And I say to them, look, don't beat yourself up about it. You've made a big change. Cut yourself some slack and have a look at the diet a bit further down the line. But I've got a feeling you wouldn't say that to somebody. What advice would you give them? No, I actually would say that. So if you were talking to me 10 years ago, I would have said, I would have answered this very differently because 10 years ago, I was like a a little more tough love, not quite as em empathetic, hadn't gone through as much stuff in my own life. And I was definitely more of a hard line, but I think for sure that if you just gave up alcohol, I kind of am not super worried about the fact that like you might be eating too much ice cream or you go to the gym twice a day. I don't want you to live there. I don't want you to do that in the absence of any other coping or processing mechanism, right? So if you're not in therapy, you're not in a group, you're not talking about how you're feeling and all you've done is started to numb with this one thing instead of this other thing, that's certainly a behavior that we wanna look at. But if you're in the middle of this big processing and reckoning and you're working with a therapist or with a group and 
in this moment of discomfort, you're finding that you are able to help self-soothe and process with like ice cream or an extra workout or whatever that looks like. Like, cool. Yes, there will be plenty of time and space to address that. I often get the question, would you recommend the Whole30 for someone who is new in recovery? And my answer is always, it depends. For some people, the structure and guidance and support of the Whole30 in that moment is incredibly impactful. They're like, oh, I have a plan. I have a program. I have this whole community now. I can make a bunch of changes at once because I'm already ripping off the Band-Aid and like, this will get me set up for success. For other people, it would be the straw that broke the camel's back and it would be way too much too soon. So you have to know yourself. You have to know what your support system is like, how you respond to habit and internal and external expectations. And it's a very individual decision. Yeah, I love that. And so many people, I do, I'm the same as you. I, I, I love the structure and I am very all or nothing with stuff. So when I jump in, I want to ju- jump straight in. But people that I work with in the community, it's too overwhelming and making small changes and intentional changes and building up new habits over time and yeah. really makes a difference. Yeah, you have a son, don't you? And I wanted to know what you see his future relationship with alcohol like and whether you're open about your sobriety with him and your drinking habits i'm not sure how old he is he's only eight um he's only eight and like his dad doesn't his dad doesn't drink that much brandon and i don't drink in our household his grandparents you know like a good glass of wine but certainly just kind of casually he's not really exposed to alcohol or drinking that much um I mentioned something the other day about smoking and like had to explain to him that there are these things called cigarettes that sometimes people smoke. So he's very insulated because of like the lifestyle that we live. So I haven't really had a lot of conversations about it. He kind of knows what drugs are. Um, I haven't really talked to him about my experience yet because he just doesn't understand. And I, I am not quite sure how I'm going to talk to him about it as he gets older. I've been thinking about it quite a bit. And of course, I'll be very honest with him. But yeah, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to handle it. Um, it's I kind of have been putting off thinking about it, I think. It's funny. I've got an eight-year-old son as well and then two older daughters. And he's never known me as a drinker. Yet it, it, about a month ago, he said something like, oh, this is mummy's medicine. And he thought every night that I was drinking wine. And it wasn't until the girls kind of looked at him and went, mum's the sobriety coach. And he was like, yeah. And they went, well, she doesn't drink alcohol. And he went, really? <laughs> And they went, well, no, it's been three years since she drank anything. Oh, I didn't realize. And it was just not on his scale. And then my daughter's, it is completely different. My one daughter is, why would anyone ever do something that is going to harm themselves? And it's going to change their their mentality and how they, their moods. Um, But it's definitely, it's good for kids to be around someone who they're stable with. And they know, he knows how you're going to be from day to day. There's no change, no shift in your mood. Yeah, I think that's going to be really important as well. And, you know, we, he's very active. He's involved in, you know, we, he's involved in rock climbing and we go hiking all the time and fishing and paddleboarding in the summer. And like that sort of, those are the activities that we do together as a family. And he's, you know, he witnesses us like going to bed early and getting up early and going to the gym. And he's out in the garage with me when I exercise in the morning and stuff. So I'm hoping that that also goes a long way towards having this conversation where it's like, dude, we've built so many cool things into our life. Like we're not going to do anything that's going to take anything away from, from that fun stuff that we do. Melissa, where can people find you when they want to know more about you and more about the Whole30? 
Yeah. So everything is just at Whole30, W-H-O-L-E and the number 30, that's Whole30.com, our Instagram page, Whole30 recipes on Instagram. And then you can find me at my website, which is MelissaU.com and the same Instagram handle at MelissaU. Okay. And what is coming up next for you in 2022? What can we expect to see from you? Well, we have some fun projects coming up for Whole30 that I can't quite talk about yet, but they're in the works and we're very excited to roll them out in first quarter. Um, we're gearing up for the biggest January Whole30 yet. So we're going to be running a huge group Whole30 as we always do starting January 1st of every year with an enormous amount of community support and resources and partner promotions and discounts. So you can be on the lookout for that as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us for today and for being our very first guest. Yes, it was really, a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. You've been such an inspiration of mine. So really, really great to have you here. Thank you so much. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, Melissa. It's been lovely having you on.